welcome to I'm From the Internet, a podcast about somethingawful.com, the goons, and their consequences. I am Chicago artist Winslow Dumaine, and I'm sitting here with internet historian Jay Brandstetter. Jay, how have you been? Uh, it's It's been a pretty eventful past week or two, but thankfully uh, everything seems to be doing good. I might be fast-tracking my move, which is exciting. And um, but other than that, I've just gotten, you know, been fun working on this. I got some uh, other shows I've been working on, so a lot of fun stuff to look forward to. It's just a weird period of transition right now. Yeah, leaving, leaving, a, leaving any city can be really rough. I, yeah. I had like a, you know, an emotional... A, a big emotional journey when I was leaving Omaha, and, you know, whenever I go back, I have all my, my big feelings. So I, I, I totally know what you're talking about there. But, yeah. Well, that's good to hear, man. I'm glad that you're getting out there. You're, you're doing your thing. Yeah, it's really yeah. exciting. I just uh, did the last day of Anime Midwest, which is a... Uh, anime pop culture convention thing uh out here in in uh chicago and uh that was fine um i it's it's just like the the past i don't know since like early spring has just been like a, a rube goldberg machine of falling down the stairs and having every every little thing in your life kick you in the pants and stuff like that. So it's just been like this uphill fucking battle of, uh, an uphill battle of falling down the stairs. You know what I mean? So it's been, it's been a fight over here, but you know, I don't know. I've, I've been working on my, my card game a lot and just trying to get people on board with like, Hey, this exists. Please come play. It has been just like, it's just a lot of fucking work. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I posted some art. Um, I, I posted what the, some of the cards are looking like. I've been getting like shitloads of drawings done, and like I'm really, really, really happy with them. It's like some of my favorite stuff I've ever done. Um, bought a bunch of new art tools, and so yeah. If you want to see any of that, uh, if anybody's listening wants to see any of that, or if you want to play the card game, I'm getting it on Tabletop Simulator as soon as I can. Um, just uh, go to go to my Instagram. It's just at calculations. Um, Play the card game. You can see what it looks like. You can do all sorts of stuff. I'd love anybody's uh, anybody's input on it. I've been working on it for a while now. So. But it sounds like you had a story for me. No, this is going to be an interesting one, yeah, because this is kind of like this is going to be the opposite of the Demon Rush, where this is about a, a game, uh, a goon game developer, and a game they made where where the game I think is pretty like traditionally good and good looking and interesting, but this is mostly going to be about the developer and the stuff that they did. And it's, uh, it's going to be interesting. And I think you're, especially as an artist, I think you're going to have and an artist who is creating a game. I think you have to have some fun feedback about uh, some of the stuff we talk about in this one. Okay. Cool. And also this is another fun, cause this is the first, this is, I think this might be the first time we've had an episode of the show where I pop up in the wild as a part of it, where, I, I have like a small but important part in it, so it'll be neat to talk about. And also, this one, the format of this one's going to be a little different too, because this one is a lot more. I wrote a lot of this. This is going to be more like, uh, like a behind the bastards or um or a uh, or a doll type thing, where I'm actually I'm reading a lot of stuff that I've written, like as an article. But there are going to be some parts where there's screenshots and everything. So, uh, all right. But by the way, whenever you have an interjection or question or something, feel free to hop in. But the text is going to be up here too, so you can kind of see where I'm going. So, cool. all right, cool. So, yeah, so this is um, this episode is titled Brigador, and that's the name of the game that we are going to be talking about. Um, the story for this episode starts in the uh, Your Console Sucks subforum of Something Awful. Uh, you might remember from our first episode, YCS was the subforum for shitposting about video games that was created in uh, 2007 after the seventh generation of home video game consoles had launched, like the, the PS3, the Wii, the Xbox 360. And it was sort of a released valve for all the dumb, silly console warrior uh, bullshit people were doing for fun. Uh, for like, from from uh, the Essaycopedia, which is something awful sort of uh, encyclopedia they have, uh, it says, although YCS adopts a lowercase blase posting style like in FIAD, it's more about massive woots than massive uggs. So this was the era of, of, uh, of using woots as a noun. So... Very good dating Thanks. for it there, I think. I, I, uh, Woot and Teh, T-E-H. Teh, <laughs> I, I associate those uh, with each other, so. Oh, yeah. 
Right. And, uh, yeah, so, so YCS was one of those web spaces where a surprising number of online gaming personalities got their start there. Like, if you go back and look at it now, I don't think a lot of it is especially interesting or, like, transcendently funny. Like, a lot of it was sort of the humor of the day. It was just, like, with an edge of, like, biting-ness and irony to it that was that made it a little more elevated than its peers. But, like, a lot of people did get their start posting there and then kind of grow out of it. Like, uh, probably the most well-known one as a, as a creator, I'd say, is probably uh, Ben Croshaw. He's a British mm-hmm. game adventure game designer and co- webcomic creator turned video essayist. He's known, he's known better as Yahtzee. Uh, here's a picture of him now as a person. He's a British guy. He wears a true, he wears, he unironically wears like a trilby and a vest. He's been doing that uh, for like 15 years at this point. That's like his trademark look. And, but this, yeah, this is what yeah. we know him for. That's his little cartoon version of himself with the funny hat in the background. And he'd be like a lot of compound swears, a lot of, you know, that, that type of angry video game critic stuff. But I actually, I actually uh, still watch his stuff when it comes up. I think that like, I, I think his sense of humor is like dated as fuck, but like, it's still it written in his voice, and I think that I, I don't know. I well, I, I I how do I put it? There's there's a certain place for um being like very critical of games as a medium because oh, yeah. like there's definitely I mean uh, we all know people who just like hate everything around them, but I think that like being critical. And, and not falling into the, like, everything sucks all the time kind of thing um, can be very important. And I think that he actually does it pretty well. He's got kind of an undeserved reputation excuse me, of, um, of being, like, Dr. Pessimism, and that's really not his thing at all. He, he loves games. That's why he does it. He doesn't, he doesn't strike me as someone who's, like, completely burnt out on, on making content like, like Nostalgia Critic. You know. Yeah, like his thing has always been being critical, so it's it's weird to criticize him for that. Why aren't you nicer to these games or whatever? But yeah, I'll right, admit, right. I haven't watched him in a while. But yeah, also I feel like one one of the things about him is I do like how he's like relatively quick and and like right, you know, as opposed to like we're now everyone seems to want to get longer and longer. You know, he talks yeah, fast. He right. does like you know, if you want to know about a game that's coming out, he'll let you know in like fifteen minutes. Yeah, yeah, the gaming community, I I still think has not fully recovered from the the death of Total Biscuit. You know, yeah. like, I, I think that, like, there's not really uh, a good resolution to someone who just, like, I want to know what this game is about in 30 minutes, and I want you to tell me, like, what it says it's about, how you feel about it, how it plays, like, the overall. Just give that to me in 30 minutes. Great. You know? Yeah. And have a powerful, booming voice, all the better. You know? Yeah, I feel like yeah, I feel like everyone's kind of switched to like either super long form or like super short form. We don't have any of that good like medium form criticism like that, or like just yeah, like what is this game about? Well, I like it type of stuff. Um, right, guess, right, right. Yeah, another one I wanted to bring up was uh, was Nick Robinson who posted there's Babylonian. Uh, he's Porter, Ro- the musician Porter Robinson's brother, and he was uh, he was a relatively prolific and successful Polygon contributor in the mid 2010s. Uh, then he got canceled because he had a very long history of sliding into women's DMs. But he was uh, he was he was with one of the McElroy brothers on there, and they did a lot of pretty good gaming content. Like. You know, that's what I shot them on. Another one that's very interesting is Joshua Sawyer, who is a game developer. Uh, he posted there is Rope Kid. He's the lead designer of Fallout New Vegas, which is one of the best role playing games of all time. And uh, he's also yeah, he's like I, he's like yeah. one of the main people at Obsidian who does a lot of stuff. Like recently, he put out the game uh, Pentiment, which is like uh, an adventure game set in like 1400s Germany that is like super historically accurate with its illustrations and everything. I saw that. That that looked really cool. I also watched a video recently called um, "Can You Beat Fallout New Vegas um, Without Breaking the Ten Commandments," which is very <laughs> funny. And it's it's uh, now that I say that out loud, uh, I'm I'm now you're now showing me a picture of Josh Sawyer who looks like if Ned Flanders just uh, <laughs> yeah. like he's got like a really charming face that like if you just look at him like chin to crown. He's just like a really charming guy. You imagine like he's wearing like a polo and khakis <laughs> underneath, but then he has like this just ropes of fucking uh, of tattoos wrapping around his arms and stuff. So it's like this guy, this guy probably slings some mad dick. Good for him. Yeah, no, he's very cool. That's one of the reasons why I picked this one. As you can see on his right arm, he um he has like some some yeah some like old medieval writing on there because he's like a history major. 
Which that's really that's one of the things I like about him oh, too is great. that he's one of those game developers where games aren't his only discipline. So like he's actually like has a uh-huh. lot of interesting stuff to talk about in his games. Like that's one of the reasons why New Vegas is so neat. He was like, oh yeah, I can just take all my all my interest in Roman history and put it in this game. But yeah, because he was on y, on uh, on YCS and he does still occasionally that explains. Yeah, that explains Caesar's Legion, right? Yeah, that's what Caesar's Legion. Him literally being like, yeah, yeah I'm a that's big. Funny. Yeah, that's why there's so much stuff about like the actual pronunciations and everything in there. But yeah, but because he was on there, uh, <laughs> he put uh, Johnny Five Aces from Cyborg Clock is in Fallout New Vegas as an Easter egg. So that is like probably one of the well, most, hu- most high profile things in there. Yeah, uh, another one is that uh, another reference is that there's a special weapon you can get in Fallout New Vegas called the YCS one eighty six. So YCS for your console sucks <laughs> in one eighty six because that's the forearm ID of what of YCS. So and it's also a specifically a unique variant of a weapon in the game called the Gauss rifle, which I wanted to mention, mm-hmm. which ties in very well because that is a reference. That's not a reference to it, but the name of the star of this episode is something awful poster Gauss, aka Gauss Works, as in Gasworks, a real life name Jack Monahan. And here's a picture of him at a game show promoting his game uh, Brigador. Here's the current picture of him from the uh, from their website. This is a little later. You can see like what several years of very He's intensive indie, indie game development does to a person. Like that's one of the things we're going to talk about yeah. is like how stressful indie game development was and how they did that. Here's a picture of him on the right, and on the left is his brother Hugh, who is also going to be one of the main characters in this. Who was also a uh, something awful poster and a YCS poster. So is he a, a half brother? Do we know? I, I don't know. I think they are both like brothers. From what I know about them, um, I just I think they're biological brothers. Yeah, because. The eyes and the eyebrows are very similar, and I would say, like, the general chin shape, but his brother has, like, a powerful nose. I will say his... Like, it's a startlingly different nose. Maybe he's just, like, several feet closer, and everything else is smaller on his face. I do know like his brother... Trick of the illusion. Yeah. His brother is a boxer, so maybe that's it? Maybe he got, maybe he got oh, punched yeah, a couple maybe times? Oh, yeah, it's all yeah. fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. So, and I just say, uh, for those of you who don't know a lot of military sci-fi, a Gauss rifle uh, is a type of gun that yes. uses an electromagnetics to accelerate a metal slug as opposed to traditional gunpowder used to propel bullets, uh, also known as a rail gun. Like, if you play Metal Gear Solid, uh, a Gauss gun is what the Metal Gear uses to shoot the, the, the warheads in it. And it's a great name for Gauss well, because also, it's, it's also, of, Yeah. Well, it's also recoilless. Yeah. That's what makes it, like, the perfect... Um, perfect long distance weapon because the only thing you're calculating for is um is a bullet drop so yeah it's just yeah. like a very fun high-tech thing i think there was like a like a john woo movie or, or a schwarzenegger movie that used one in the 90s and that's why like a bunch of anime and games in the late 90s started having it but yeah so military science fiction is kind of his thing this is the page of his um his portfolio right now as i pulled up so you can see some of his graphic design and uh, specifically, he's an artist and an illustrator who works mostly in the field of uh, military science fiction and horror. And uh, I want to make a front. I think he is a talented artist, and he is someone who has worked professionally as a concept artist for basically most of his adult life, which is pretty difficult to do, from what I understand. I think it's pretty admirable. And that's actually one of the reasons why he was kind of a posting superstar on why, on Your Console Sucks, was because he was a little bit older than everyone there, and he was so he was an illustrator, so he worked in games, and he was able to do all these really epic kind of meme paintings, like... Here's one of Johnny from um, from from Cyborg Clock. Here's uh, most, that was kind of his trademark uh-huh. was he did all these really good pictures of Johnny. Where kind of the joke with Johnny Five Aces is that they're a character that was very badly drawn. So having these very technically uh-huh. adept like uh, like portraits done was very interesting, and that's kind of a fun taster of the Cyborg Clock episode for when we get to it. I, I feel like part of this this whole thing is going to be me kind of staring down a grim future of what designing this game is because this is the only fucking thing I think about and and like seeing how things can catastrophically fail is what I'm imagining this is about uh, yeah it is, is a, I will say that it is kind of a dark moon is rising for me right now right this is weird this is like a feel bad feel good feel bad story so like it, this, this, this goes places so but yes so um I did think of that, too. So as you are developing a game, I did kind of have game developers on the mind. So that's one of the reasons I wanted to do this one. So 
But um, so outside of, of your console sucks, he actually got a bit of a following because he had a blog where he would do these fun sort of theoretical uh, game development treatments for games that he liked. Uh, like, like for he liked the game Deus Ex a lot, so he was like, oh, what if there was a spinoff prequel where you could play as these characters from it, uh, but like, you, but when they were younger and more developed, he'd be like, and here's how I would portray them, here's my art style. Uh, what if the horror game Alone in the Dark was a home invasion horror thing, literally about like being alone in the dark, here's my take on it. Mm-hmm. And also sometimes he would like redesign games that were badly done. Like there was one called, um, I can't remember the name, but, like he took this really bad, um, uh, this really bad squad tactics game was like about how you can't tell the characters apart. Here's how you should design them. So everyone has an out, a silhouette and everything like good, basic game mm-hmm. design stuff. So it wasn't, it was like, I, that's why I read it. It was really interesting and educational. So, uh, and for what I understand of Jack's personal life, he spent his early twenties doing cool artist stuff, like backpacking across Europe and keeping a, a like a, a sketch journal. While he was doing it. Uh, eventually he got a job at a game studio called eight monkey labs, working on a game called uh, darkest of days. You've probably never heard of it because it wasn't very good or successful, unfortunately, but while he was, uh, but while he was working on developing it, it was really cool to have someone in this game shit posting forum who actually was working on a game and could talk about the game design experience and kind of like share behind the scenes stuff. And like, this was a smaller game. So it was kind of fun to root for it to be like, you know, like all these big games suck, but Jack's working on this really cool one. And we think it's going to be neat. And so it came, it finally came out in fall of 2009. And like a lot of people, in YCS, I played it just to support him. Uh, I put a cover of it, of it here. If you want to do a quick sort of word picture of how they're presenting this. Uh, person it's, shooter. it's an old PC game cover. Uh, what's, what's funny about it is that it is, Quite the juxtaposition of a very clearly a like, uh, it's like the mid two thousands, uh, kind of grim faced soldier, but he's like his face is cast in shadow. He's dressed, he's he's a Confederate soldier, right? Um, but he somehow has a fade, which I don't know how good <laughs> the Clippers were back then. Um, he's holding, he has strapped to his back like an old musket, and he has all his little pouches and stuff. But he's also holding like a sci-fi future rifle, which also th- that rifle doesn't look that sci-fi. Because um, when you want to talk about sci-fi rifles, you're talking about like um, the the they, they have a bunch of weird shit in Stalker. That you can yeah, this this looks more like like a modern assault rifle. Yeah, Stalker yeah. is kind of a good line for it. Yeah, so like, I what what is that gun called? Um, it's like the all the one piece. It's like the FN two thousand or something. I like know exactly that. what you're um, talking about. Yeah, yeah. It's a dope looking gun, but you know, and like in James Bond also had a whole bunch of like crazy, like the RCP ninety or something like that. But long story short, he's a Confederate soldier holding a high tech gun, and he's clearly standing in front of a time portal, and behind it there there are what appears to be like a silhouette of uh civil war and then above it it says in kind of like a techie font darkest of days which is itself above an erupting volcano which i have no fucking idea what this game is going to be <laughs> yeah that, yeah well it's it's not a secret scientology game so the volcano actually has a good reason yeah, for, future yeah. racist comes back to like <laughs> you know. future racist would be a very funny name for a first person shooter but yeah i, mean, I got it like, i was actually interested because the concept is pretty cool the premise is that you're one of general Custer's soldiers and you get like uh, time travelers pull you to the far future right before you're killed at little bighorn and their thing is that they're like basically time cops that pull people from throughout history right before they die so there's not a paradox and then they send them out to do like time t- timeline stuff and the gimmick is that you go back in time and you fight in history historical stuff with period accurate weapons but you also get like cool future sci-fi weapons so th- that and this is a like pretty the neat cop- simplest dumbest fucking thing that we have done so many goddamn times yeah you know what if we fought dinosaurs with laser guns and we just made like turok and turok and turok and like there's so many different variations of that of like well what if if i went back in time with this gun i could change history it's like yeah (laughs) i know that's the premise of an entire (laughs) genre of fiction yeah we know yeah i don't know And and it's also just like these were like like cobbled fucking syphilitic drooling ghouls back in the day like these were not like, perfect soldiers. If you wanted to have a, like, having this soldier go back in time to fight, having a, a, a BJ Blaskowitz go back in time to fight, that's a thing. 
because he's gonna be like six foot five and he can smash fucking union guys with his hands. That's a fucking game, right? But when you just have like some guy from like the Civil War going forward in time, who cares? <laughs> That's just like some wizened fucking husk of a person. That's not, I don't know. We could get into this more, but it, it's, y- you get what I'm saying. And it, it's just, there's not a lot to it, you know? Yeah, that, that was kind of the problem with this game is that there wasn't a lot to it. Because, like, this was a small studio and they were a little too ambitious with this. Like, there's only two time periods you really go to, the Civil War and World War One. And then you just go back to those two ones over and over. And then at the very end, they have, like, one interesting one where you're going through Pompeii as Mount Vesuvius erupts, which is why that volcano is on the cover. And you're fighting, like, future sci-fi guys and Roman legionnaires at the same time in a volcano. And I'm like, that was interesting, but, like, yeah, like, it just wasn't a very good game. And it just didn't do super well. And I actually pulled up the Metacritic here for it just to kind of show, like... Yeah, it got like 51 out of 100, 6.1 out of 10 user score. Yeah, just this is just kind of like it exists. Yeah, that's not. And so, yeah, because the game bombed, uh, 8 Monkey Lab shut down and Gauss didn't have a job anymore. So after talking over with his brother, they decided that they wanted to go independent and try making their own games after make, you know, working for someone else didn't work out. And the games that they wanted to play, their kind of narrative was that they felt that the modern game industry wasn't making uh, games for real gamers anymore. You know, they have like, you know, that was kind of their whole thing. It was like, it was like true psycho gamer or whatever was like the ti- was like the thing that they titled the, one of the achievements in their game where it's games don't have a high skill ceiling. They don't expect you to spend a lot of time mastering these complicated control systems and and stuff. They, I, everything's too simple. Everything holds your hands too much. So so that was their kind I, of mission statement. I hate to say, but they are at for for the time that they were saying that they're like totally correct. Yeah, like, like they're so right because this is why Dark Souls was like such a huge hit when it first came out. I remember watching like the first playthroughs of Dark Souls, um, and the presenter it was like somebody else was playing it. And they were like presenting it for like a, a game show, and they were just like so. Like you're you're injured, but you're not using your potion. He's like, yeah, because I I don't get it back. Like I get it back if I can find a way to make it to a bonfire. And like this boss is gonna chop me in half. And like just showing how brutally fucking punishing it is. Because like if you're not a gamer, like not only is Dark Souls like a pretty fucking difficult game when you're just picking it up, but if you die, you drop all of your your currency in the game where you died and you start back at the fire uh you're at the last like checkpoint and you have to work your way back to where your body was to get your stuff back however you come back as like a hollowed out husk with even less health which means that you have to do everything that you just did to get to where you were to get it back uh and if you die again it's gone forever it rocks there's a reason why that, that this that this shit popped off because uh, the, the every other game at this time you're like getting shot in the face with rockets and then you just hide behind a stump for like 15 seconds and the screen kind of flashes for a minute and then you're back at full health and you get right back in yeah it was like so fucking boring yeah, this was yeah, you know. yeah. The the time periods are going to be important. This as well. So, two thousand eleven is when they found their game studio, Stellar Jockeys, and yeah, I feel like yeah, this was definitely kind of a time where there was a demand for this. And uh, but here's here's their logo. I pulled off just this little pat, this little like, kind of military patch they made. That's one of the, the kind of like oh, the, okay. the military sci fi aesthetic going through with that. So the way they, yeah, they so their their logo is like if you chopped off a well, okay, so. That's weird. So, yeah, if you just cut off the top 20% of a cookie and then turn the knife to the side and then cut off another chunk of the cookie, uh, and it's just kind of the imply a very simple implied silhouette of a, of a face looking down at the stars, and because of the rest of the circular shape, it is kind of like you're looking into the... Um, to... Uh, the, the capsule helmet of, of like an astronaut and it's called stellar jockeys. So 
that's, that's a good that's a good logo actually like i yeah. like that yeah i mean like i said like, i think he's a good artist there's like good graphic design and all this so yeah so the way they kind of divvied it up is these are kind of like the three heads of the company so jack handles the arts uh and hugh handles the the executive stuff and like the business parts of it and design and then they hired uh they brought on board a programmer named carl para kennings who is the main? Who is also a main character in this? And then they also got a couple smaller contractors on over the years. But these are the three main guys. Like if you go to Stellar Jockeys right now and look at the about page, this is them. Jack and Hugh are the co-founders of the company, and then they brought on Carl as as uh, the as a programmer person. But he's like what, like the the Reader's other full time employee. Uh, that that Jack uh, Jack and Hugh are the are featured wearing military helmets and carl is just a guy <laughs> <laughs> yeah carl is wearing like dark dark like dark plastic like programmer frames yeah yeah it's it's very funny to kind of like trace how people display themselves because there was a, a, a period and we might still be in it in some parts of the world where like you are professional headshot you could be expressive and weird and like holding a surfboard and making a silly <laughs> face and then like, it, get, we got to a point where it's like, we have to be very serious. And so there's a, a lot of pictures where it's like, no, we have somebody come in and do the headshots. And the headshots have to look smart and good because we are a serious multi-million dollar company. But then you have shit like, you know, Devolver Digital, which is just like every single thing that they put out is like, what if we did it with a dick in our ass? You know, <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah, the, 2011, this is like now. right before Devolver blew up with Hotline Miami. So, yeah, that's actually a good yeah. Yeah, also with Carl, I noticed on the, on the left-hand side, there's, like, a flannel sleeve. So it looks like he just, like, cropped out his picture from a group shot, whereas the brothers look yeah, like they actually did, like, a military photo shot. It's such a guy move to, like, <laughs> not have photos of yourself. <laughs> I don't get it because I have, like, thousands of them because I'm always posting myself. But, like, the number of guys I know that are like, hey, man, I just need a picture of you for this thing. And they're like, they send me something from like six years ago. <laughs> and it's like clearly cropped out of some other bigger photo. I'm like, bro, or, or worse, they just pop open their camera and they do it right then and there. And it's like, all right, well, never mind. Yeah, like whenever you're creating you know, an account somewhere and they're like, let's take your photo. And I'm like, you really think I'm just going to take a ca- like a photo now to use? No, yeah, just you. take a photo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's great, yeah. And that is also one thing I we'll talk about the military harbor. That's something I forgot to mention earlier in the script, but that was also one of uh, one of Jack's kind of things on YCS he was good for was he knew a lot about, like, real-life weaponry and military hardware and also, like, collected some of it. So, like, one of his things was, like, making fun of really bad sci-fi gun designs. Like, not just, in, not just nitpicking them for being unrealistic, but explaining, like, why they wouldn't work. And also doing, like, kind of right. fun fake ones. Like, there was one that was, like, a tactical spray bottle model that he made. It was, like, a just fun stuff like that, yeah. So, so in 2014, uh, three years after they make Stellar Jockeys, they reveal their first game, Matador, an isometric, real-time uh, mech combat game that emphasized skillful play and uh, mastering unique vehicles. So I have the YouTube tra- link to the trailer here. It's only a minute long. There's no, no dialogue or anything. I can uh, send you the link to it. Planet. Novo Solo. All right. Solo Nombre. So you got the, what's it called? The the hex, not hex-based. It's the, Again, where it's like... Isometric? What do you, isometric, yeah. Isometric um, view of a very crowded future city. Why do I feel like I might have seen some? You might have. Um, one of the things we're going to talk about is how, is how this kind of blew up later. And yeah, and also, I will say also, it's, it, the graphical style is it's using pre rendered 2D sprites. So uh, all these are 3D models, but it's 2D sprites. So it's a very like distinct look. Oh, yeah. I mean, the graphics look dope as shit. This looks like it has the same kind of oppressive moodiness as like Tiberian Sun. Which I actually really like. Yeah. I mean, I, I say actually as if it wasn't like celebrated um, and like a cult classic. And a cult classic, you know, Tiberian Sun rocks, dude. I, I follow Frank Klopaki on Twitter. His, he's still out there just kicking ass. That's great. Yeah, yeah, anyway, back cool. to the trailer. So uh, the, the, the context of the trailer is like uh, far future, you're on like a colonized planet that is like absolutely jam packed with vehicles. Um, and it's an isometric thing where you're like running around with like these walking robots and doing like vehicular combat 
Um, uh, you know, the, the graphics are, are pretty retro, but still pretty fucking cool. Um, pixel art ages very well. And isometric stuff, I think, ages very well. Got some pretty elaborate shit going on right here. This is kind of wild. I was expecting something really bad after what we did last time. <laughs> yeah. Because it's just kind of the opposite. The music sucks. The music is, is super... Well, the clapping. I don't like. But everything else, that was great. I would play that. That looks awesome. Yeah, no, it's... Well, yeah, like Break my heart, Jay. Break my heart. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm working on it. So, yeah, so... So that's when they announced, and yeah, again, 2014, like, also for 2014, I feel like that kind of look where it's, like, everything's dark at night, but there's, like, neon lighting, everything wasn't, like, super, that was still, like, a pretty new aesthetic, so that was also pretty neat, and yeah, so after that announcement, uh, they would eventually uh, change the game's name from Matador to its final title, Brigador. Uh, this was because they realized later that Matador had terrible uh, search engine optimi- optimization. It's a generic term, and also there's already a movie called The Matador from 2004. So whenever someone looked for Matador or The Matador, they would get a mo- this movie instead. It- it's pretty good if you like like uh-huh. wacky hitman movies. It has Pierce Brosnan in it. It's it's okay, but yeah. But um, so yeah. So I, I don't figure. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I figured they were calling it Matador because of the Dune. You know, uh, yeah. but um, I mean, maybe they, they that was their original intention. I don't know. But, um, you know, in, in on Arrakis, uh, the House of Trades, like the kind of the emblem of that royal family is the matador. Uh, because I think like his Paul Atreides grandfather got killed. From, I don't know. Oh, yeah, but that's what cool. I just thought. But anyways. Um, yeah, so that's actually uh, Brigador is a Portuguese war- word. I don't speak Portuguese, so I, I actually asked ChatGPT to translate it for me because it's actually a very good translator, I've learned. So uh, I asked it to translate for me, and it says, uh, the word Brigador does not have a direct translation to English, as is a Portuguese term without a corresponding equivalent. However, the word Brigador is often used colloquially in Brazil to refer to someone who is determined, persistent, or tenacious, particularly when it comes to pursuing their goals or defending their interests. It can be roughly understood as someone who is a fighter or a go-getter. Um, so you can kind of see how that would come from, how they, that might be like a, tra- like a transliteration from Matador, but also like a more unique term. Like, yeah, because this doesn't have a, an English translation directly. Like, if you look for Brigador online, you'll get a lot of pictures of like soccer players and then screenshots of the game because a lot of it is like them calling up a, a, a player like a Brigador or whatever. Like, that's their nickname. So that is that is one of the neat things about this game too is it deliberately draws from Brazilian Portuguese as its cultural sort of uh, effect instead of like either like Japanese or like German like I feel like are kind of both like this, the generic kind of mech uh, cultural things to draw from so uh, but yeah anyways that I think that name change kind of sets the stage for the development of Brigador where it's very obviously them kind of stumbling their way through this and uh, making things up as they go and kind of learning the hard way because the thing is they were entirely self funded. So their thing was they could kind of just do it however they wanted. So they got to do, like, really fun, but also really self-indulgent indie stuff. Like, they commissioned an entire audiobook set in the universe of the game before it was even released. And uh, it was... And, yeah, I have this screenshot, just because it's very funny. It says, the first, the very first audiobook on Steam. So... Yeah, that the, I mean, look... Uh, well, there's so much to say about audiobooks, but um, the fact that, like... We're in the age of AI now, where like you can just have ChatGPT shit out uh, a script for you, and then have AI audiobook it for you, and then you just upload that, and then some mook will fucking download it. Uh, it's it dark days are before us. I love audiobooks, and every time I go to try to like get them, uh, I am just like assaulted by like just shelves and shelves and shelves or pages and pages and pages of like just garbage that was just like shat out into the universe you know where like the audiobook is like five hours which is not that's like two podcasts you know what i mean yeah um yeah so i i 
I'm frustrated, but as you were saying. Yeah, I, th- I think Dan Olson did a video on that whole scam that people that's behind that, where it's like it's like a get rich creep scam. Somebody's still like that's why all of a sudden there are tons of them everywhere. But yeah, it's only gonna get worse because of AI. So, but, but yeah, for this audiobook, like um, it was written by a guy named Brad Buckmaster, whose whole scene thing was to be that his whole scene thing is to be that he was an actual mercenary who has like implicitly seen combat and killed people. So it's like if you're doing a military sci-fi thing, you hire him on to give like that authentic air of grit. So just kind of, uh, I pulled him up there and yeah, like I did some stuff in Iraq, Afghanistan, in Africa. Like he, he's so cool. You can tell he's just, yeah, just really cool. Uh, yeah. One that's not, that cannot possibly his be his last name. You know, his name is Brad Leslie. <laughs> and, uh, I don't know. I don't, I, I have like an, a, a wild and immediate distrust of anybody who's like, is, is okay. Am I gonna ruin it by looking at his his Insta or his Twitter? Brad? Uh, you, yeah. yeah, you can look up Brad. Stuff. I'm he's desperate he's, to he's, know. he's he's very much a side character in all this. Okay, go ahead. Yes, yeah, so you can look up Brad Buckmaster. And while you're doing that, I will say uh, another big get from them is that the soundtrack is by this uh, by this electronic musician named Makeup and Vanity Set, who's set out of Nashville, Tennessee. Um, and yeah, the soundtrack, I really like the soundtrack to this game because I like this type of music. And it's also a huge part of why Brigador is like kind of had a cult reputation before it blew up was just because of the soundtrack. Yeah, I, I tend to uh, like music by anyone wearing uh, a ski mask. <laughs> yeah, it just feels so much more threatening. <laughs> yeah, no, I do like the juxtaposition of their band, of like the, their musician name being Makeup and Vanity Set, but then their picture, they're like, I gotta wear, yeah, I gotta wear a black balaclava. <laughs> Some people don't right. hard. It, yeah, it, anyways, great, good music. Um, yeah, so, so on October sixteenth of twenty fifteen, Brigador finally releases as an early as an early access game on Steam, and it doesn't do well. Uh, long story short, uh, the, the indie games world had kind of exploded in the half decade between them starting this project and uh, mm-hmm. them finally releasing it. So it was it had gotten a lot harder for a small independent developer to get attention just for releasing a game. Because like back before Steam Greenlight, back before Early Access, back before Kickstarter, if a game got released on Steam, it was kind of a big deal. Like you could kind of just know everything that was on Steam at a given time. But by this point, the market had been flooded. Right. And they were getting a, they were getting a hard yeah, time. Was, yeah. No, I was just I was just explaining that to someone recently that like the uh, the future of so many different industries is fucked. Not because AI is going to be making the coolest shit that we want to see. It's going to be making so much shit that we don't want to see that it's going to drown out all the other like heartfelt content. Because, like, you know, you go on Steam right now, and, like, I, I I look at, like, all right, so what's the upcoming games? And it's all just porn games. There's so fucking many of them. And I, like, you know, like, I fucking do your thing, but have fun or whatever. But, like, the fact that you can train an AI on, on fucking on hentai or whatever... And then just have it shit out a hundred fucking pictures. And then you just put it together with RPG Maker or whatever. And then boom, you're done. You have a game. Means that, like, it's just going to get worse. And eventually we're going to have AI-created games. Like, it's just going to get worse. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's like, it's... So I can totally see what you're talking about here. Yeah, we are, like, uh, I think, like, just over, like, half a decade into Steam just opening the floodgates and deciding they weren't going to, like, curate their admissions anymore and just be, like, anyone who will pay the fee to get in here can have a game up. So that's why, and they, even, they don't even, yeah. like, ban porn anymore. It's just kind of, yeah, it's they, they're very, very kind of, like, Dude, libertarian that's why, about that. That's why, that's why um, Amazon sucks is because it's just, like, Amazon used to be a place that I could just go and get the fucking thing that I need. And now it's like, all right, I need a phone case by Otterbox. I just need a phone case. All I need. And then I search phone case. And they have 444,000 fucking results. And, like, maybe 10% of them won't immediately crumple to dust when they arrive at my doorstep. You know? Yeah, it's like, all just, like, dropshipping scams now. Yeah, it's all fucking scams, dude. It, you know, it, it's just, uh, you know, Fahrenheit 451... 
was it a book about how nobody cares to read anymore? Or it was it a book about banning? It was a book about how nobody cares to read. And a lot of like the, the frustration with so many things is just like, it's just so overwhelming to do fucking anything because it's just so much shit right now. You know? Yeah. I, it, but yeah, anyways, Brigador, Brigador looked great. I don't know why. I feel like I would have been all about this if I had known about it at the time. Yeah, like I mean, like I played it when it came out, and like I guess I'll talk more about it as we go through. But um, yeah, so uh, so they they had a hard time getting big sites to review it, and some of the smaller outlets that did review it gave it negative reviews because it didn't really have much of a story or a campaign. Instead, it was like a bunch of disconnected levels where you would just the idea was they were just like a list of levels. You beat one to unlock the next, and then you'd replay them to get high scores and like play them as different characters. Uh, also, one uh, basically there was a lot of complaints because the game had tank controls. Um, in video games, for mm-hmm. those who only play video games, tank controls means like if you press up, your character moves forward whatever direction they're facing, as opposed to normally in video games, like you press up and they move up relative to the direction on the screen. So for vehicles, it kind right. of makes sense, but it's it's kind of uh, it hasn't been the standard for a long time. And the fact that it didn't even give people the option kind of was like their thing was basically this is it was kind of like it did come across as a little arrogant to be like no this is our vision we refuse to compromise and then complain when like a bunch of people compl- gave them bad reviews for. It. but again i get it like i said like i pre- yeah. i appreciate the artistry but at the same time i, I get both sides of it so um so yeah. yeah tank controls can be a lot that that's what keeps people from playing the the first silent hill is because like you do have to like up and down just moves your character forward and back then you use this the the other directions to like angle their their shoulders and pelvis which is like very strange when every other game now is just like no. Let's do it the way that's easiest. Yeah, we, it, the way t- that like makes sense to your hands. Yeah, back we were still learning how to navigate three D spaces with like a D pad. It was right. yeah, and so so the so October sixteenth, twenty fifteen is when the early access releases. Then and on June second, twenty sixteen, the full release comes out, and it manages to get some pretty good reviews when the full release comes out. Like it got an eight from Destructoid, which is a great. Uh, it got a 76 from PC Gamer when they reviewed it. Uh, there's t- the byline says, a, okay. beyond a fairly daunting control and difficulty tur- curve, Brigador is a gorgeous isometric shooter with a remarkable level of strategy. And yeah, like their, their thing was like, it was, and here's for the full review. It's now you'll see it has a 70 out of a hundred and an 8.0 user score. So it did, it did. Yeah. Find, which isn't bad. yeah like the, the reviews were very much like this is kind of a niche product, but for what, it's very good for what it is, and it did find those sort of hardcore fans. But it, those reviews didn't really translate to sales. Um, so I will hand it to Stellar Jockeys right. here, is that they were very smart with how they handled it. They basically turned their own failure into kind of a marketing point. Uh, I say they, but really I think the credit kind of goes to Hugh for this one. Like, one of his things they did was he had a big post on Imager that blew up all, that kind of blew up because it was all about how difficult being an indie game dev was and him sort of being open and honest about the game's underperformance. Like, here's like a before and after of like him, this is like him like being before I started working on this game, here's how I looked afterwards, like how the stress and the weight loss and everything. And I, I put a link in here, but it was like a huge post of him talking about like, the sales going very much in depth, side like behind the scenes stuff about like like he he posts the actual sales figures showing how like nobody buys a game aside from like right when it launches or if it get, if it gets like a big blow up or something. So just neat stuff like right. that. Uh, also because they kind of didn't have to be, play as nice anymore. Like a post on the Seeps forums went viral because someone uh, complained that the game cost twenty dollars, which was too much, and he did a big thing about like explaining like how little money $20 really is and like how much time and effort the game was just, this was back in the days when the idea of like pay, like indie, this was indie games were still new and people are kind of still having that discourse about not wanting to pay more than 10 or 15 bucks for something. I mean, like not just the amount of work that you put into the, the, the project, but just like I, if, if an indie game gives me a few hours of like really meaningful, thoughtful, put together, uh, content or like just gives me like a really interesting feeling. Yeah, that's fifteen dollars. That's twenty dollars. I don't give a shit. Like that's great. You know, like I I'm try- I'm struggling to think of like a very specific game that happened recently, but um, yeah, I mean like like fucking Factorio, dude. Factorio is thirty bucks. That is insane. Like Factorio will melt your brain like it's so fucking good 
Like, I know people who are like, oh, I'd love to play it, but I can't because I know that that game is going to wreck my life because of how good it is. <laughs> and, it's, yeah, the, oh, the, the beauty of Factorio is that, like, the people that made it just said, like, no, our game is $30. We're never putting it on sale because it's worth $30. And, fuck, yeah. Overwhelmingly positive reviews on Steam. Like, fucking 10 out of 10. Great game. Anyways, oh, yeah. this is no longer a Factorio podcast. <laughs> Yeah, it's also in 2019. He even got to give a presentation at the big uh, game developers conference about how Brigador had failed at launch and how they learned from it. Like eventually, they updated it to have multiple control schemes, and they added more tutorials to help ease players into its complicated systems. That was one of their big takeaways: is basically like, listen to your play testers, listen to your people who play. Like if you go, like you know, basically just you know, listen to them. If to, and and uh, I watched the whole presentation. All I mean, it's not like. It wasn't super good, but like, you know, there were some fun points and like that. But yeah, so between all that and a successful relaunch of a new version of the game on Steam, they actually did well enough that they announced a sequel in uh, 2019 uh, called Brigador Killers. So um, they announced it in 2019 and they said that it was due out in 2020. And I'll say the game still isn't out now. So um, that's one thing uh, where it's going to come up, I guess, is the delays with that. But um but yeah, so the premise of Brigador Killers was kind of fun. They learned how, like, since the biggest complaint was not having a story mode, they're like, okay, this new one, the premise is it's a sequel where it has a story mode where you're going and killing all the player characters from the first game, which is why it's called Brigador Killers. And I'm like, that's kind of a fun idea, because it did have, like, interesting characters and stuff, even if there wasn't really, like, a plot or anything. Um, okay. I mean, that's... I... I kind of like that. Yeah, that's, uh, I think that's a fun premise. Like, the hunting... Like, I don't know. That that I also I I'm a fan of a game that's not gonna spoon feed you a storyline. Um, I, I I really like the Dark Souls form of storytelling, which is just like welcome to the world. Go ahead, you know. Yeah, that was one. So. That was one of the things they did that kind of helped with that too. Is they did a thing where it's like your high score is in terms of like it's money. It's like the bounty you get paid for each mission, and you could use that money to buy like uh, little like bits of text that would give you like lore or like bios for each of the, the, the player characters. So it does have kind of like that dark souls thing where it's like, there's not like a, a plot plot, but there's like a fun, world, a fun world building and stuff, which is why it's like a fun playground for a sequel that will, if, if it ever comes out. So, um, right. So, yeah, so, so far, this seems like a very nice, fun, positive story, right? This is inter- an interesting poster, uh, endures a lot of hardships, but ultimately sees success and validation as an artist and as a person, and gets to create something on their own terms and finds an audience that supports them. So, so far, this is a really fun, nice story. This is a great podcast, man. Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think this sounds like a great way to, to close the entire series. Yeah, we are on page... Tw- oh, wait, we're on page 27 of 86. Okay, <laughs> okay yeah. All right. Oh. I was having a great fucking time thinking about the times I played with my friend Brian talking about Tiberian Sun all summer. That was fucking awesome. I had all my army guys out. We played Tiberian Sun when my mom was on the computer writing emails to New York Times because they said something racist. And I couldn't play Tiberian Sun, so I just played it with Brian with the army guys. Those are all good memories, and now we're looking at this shit. <laughs> uh, that does sound very fun. Long fucking day. Yeah. All right, so yeah. Thank God there were never any Tiberian Sun sequels, and the game is over. They never touched it again. I get that, yeah. Sometimes it's a relief when it's just like, I'm glad this isn't just going to be turned into a franchise forever or whatever. We just got a nice thing out of it. Yeah. Oh, no, they, they, they crashed that shit right into the ground. They just kept releasing stupider and stupider stuff. Same thing with Red Alert 2. Red Alert 2 fucking ripped, and then everything else they ever made is just like, okay. Yeah, I am, yeah. I, I, EA bottom. Yeah. yeah, so... Okay, so let's go back to something awful and uh, YCS. So, as a refresher, uh, Your Console Sucks launched in 2007. Now, it was closed in 2011, and the reason why it was closed was because the anime perverts and the ironic racists were getting to be a little much, especially as the rest of the site became more progressive with all the people who talked for John McCain getting banned in 2008 and uh, the Lossie's Fair subforum uh, making leftism more popular across the subforum. So, That's uh, funny. Yeah, so, so, I will say yeah. I just did three days of an anime con and I, I did tweet this, but it's very true that yeah. 98% of the people at anime cons are, like, just super queer, super friendly, super accepting. They just want to live their life. Loveliest people you'll meet. They're also, like, kids, so they're just having fun, right? Yeah. And then 
the remaining 2% are just, like, guys with exactly one hair left on their head, like <laughs> Charlie Brown, and they're just like, my only problem with Adolf Hitler is, is that he, he wasn't into Lollycon. <laughs> like, it's just the, the disparity. It's a reverse fucking bell curve of, of uh, lovely people and the fucking freaks, dude, so. It really is, yeah. A lot of great furry people there. They were very nice. They're, they're nice because they don't talk. Everybody else wants to talk. <laughs> you know, they're, they're too in character. That's great, yeah. Very cool. Um, yeah, but, if, if, but the thing about there's nothing else. Uh, the YCS posters were pretty crafty. Uh, they saw the way that the winds were blowing, and months before YCS was actually shut down, they created their own separate offsite forum and mar- and migrated to it. So by the time Low Tax finally shut down YCS, it was a ghost town. Nobody was posting in it anymore. And I have to admit that's something I'm surprised more places don't do because a lot of times, like when I look at something awful communities, it's like you hate the other people on the site, you hate the the, the way that the site itself works. Like why don't you, you hate having to pay to do stuff? Why don't you just make an offsite and do your stuff there? And these people actually did that. So, um, so yeah, so everybody yeah, they, did, they pulled a bender. Yeah, they they made their own sub forum with they made their own forum with blackjack and hookers. Yeah, it was called badgame.net. Um, yeah, and I have a screenshot of the login page here, and if you could, uh, don't read it out loud, but I, I chose this screenshot because there is a very curiously a, uh, a slur right there on the login page on the, um, on the flag that randomly loaded when you accessed it. So that kind of gives you a taste of what b- Bad Game is like. A poster named Del the Funky Homophobe quoting someone's posting N-Word Killer 666 is, that's yeah. the Bad Game.net experience. Cool, man. Uh, so yeah, that's it's, it's it's one of the most like perfect little encapsulations of modern Twitter right now is is the uh, uh, the the report back from Twitter security saying, "Hey, we saw your report on N word hunter <laughs> or like it was yeah. N word raper fourteen eighty eight, and we didn't see that they did anything wrong." So sorry about that. It's just like it's uh, it it's fucking insane that Zuck is. I mean, like I'm never gonna go on Threads because that shit's for fucking babies. Yeah. But the fact that like we have like this full blown like Nuremberg or or, or Reichstag fucking psycho over here, and then Zuck is just like, hey, what if we made a place where people are just nice to each other, which sucks too. They both suck for different reasons. Yeah, no, I think it's very funny because God, it must like really like steam him that he spent like all those billions of dollars trying to make the metaverse a thing, and then that article just came out that said like, in all the money they paid out last year was four hundred and seventy dollars. <laughs> After all that money they spent, that's all they paid out. Like the most users, like their maximum users per day was like thirty six people. It was nobody. And now, but now he opens up this this total knockoff of Twitter, and all of a sudden, millions of people are on it. And he's just like, uh, I mean, yeah. it, millions of people wouldn't have joined it if it wasn't one click to join it. Yeah, that too. Yeah. You know, so yeah, just really, it's yeah. Twitter is getting to be a lot right now. Uh, yeah, so I don't have any screenshots of bad game to share with you aside from this because it's a private members only forum like you can only join if they approve your joining and like they only accept it by invite so you could probably guess what happens when a bunch of people who were too edgy for something awful go on their own private site away from prying eyes and then just spend like years in there like a pressure cooker especially as time goes on and you know this is this has happened in 2011. So you know, going forward, we have you know GamerGate coming, and then all that other funds, then Trump, and so just like a pre- all that stuff happening, building up there over the years. Oh boy! Yeah, yeah. So uh, this black mold. Yeah, that's a good way of thinking about it. It's in, so, but during that time, uh, Jack continued to post on something awful. He posted about the development of Brigador. It had a dedicated uh, goon following, its own thread on games, and in general, in something awful, he was held in pretty high regards. Uh, he and his brother were both known for being uh, super cool at game devs and doing fun little things like uh, giving free copies of the game away to people, or they would like write fans thank you letters on like an authentic old mechanical typewriter and mail it to them. Just they just did fun little things like that, and uh, they weren't the OPs of the Brigador right. threading games, but they were both uh, active participants in there. 
So here I just have a picture of them. Uh, there's, there's Jack as Gauss, and then there's his brother as Anthony Patch, which is his username, and there's just them kind of both talking about um, Brigador and its development. And uh, so while that's what, they, that's what, that's what, uh, so if you could read uh, here, just, uh, here's a post from Jack as Gauss. If you want to read that one out loud, just so we can get a post in this one. We'll get to the bottom of the missing deluxe editions for people. Don't worry. Meanwhile, I've just been informed that we launched Brigador on National Gun Violence Awareness Day. I hope you've been made more acutely aware, like the right firing arc of a, for a gutter ball. There we go. That's just yeah. Okay. Yeah, just a fun fun joke. So um, uh, so that's when he's posting something awful. Uh, meanwhile, here's the type of stuff he was posting on BadGame.net. I'm going to send you this link. Please do not read this out loud. And this is this this is kind of a big one, so you know, feel free to take a minute to like scroll through it and everything. Like, oh boy! All right, let's get. Yeah, this right is into very this. this is very long. I'm sorry. This was the image. This this image is important. It was posted later, so that's why I just wanted to use this one. And also, some of the longer ones you can skim them. Uh, the, the shorter ones are like the more punchy ones. Yeah. Oh, man. I mean, he doesn't want me to read these out loud, but I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, so uh, at the start, he's yelling about trans representation in video games. Uh, and then... Let's see. Yeah, okay, yeah. So he's just talking about, like, woke fantasies, and he's complaining about, you know, the woke fantasies happening in Wolfenstein Old Blood. Which was like, what the fuck are you talking about? That was like where they actually got some zombies in that fucking game. Uh, and he's empowering Nazi baby abortion. There's a lot going on here. Okay, now we're getting to the Holocaust denial. <laughs> um, oh god, ooh. what a line to come back to. <laughs> uh, this game looks gay. Uh, yeah. You know, it's it's all of this is kind of laid in um, yeah, he's calling gay, gay, SJWs. If you say if you like earnestly talk about social justice warriors as an adult, um, we should we should put you on a bus with all the other people that do that and then drive you to uh, wherever thirty days of night was set, and then we put you into the, the giant grinder that they put the vampire in. We just turn you into, like, a, a slurry. And then we take that slurry, and we kind of, we just kind of mix it in with some other chemicals to sterilize it, and then we, we use that to fertilize our crops. Uh, Chinese virus un, unraveling Western civilization, but uh, Valve can still issue a refund in under an hour. Uh, my brain is, uh, yeah, okay, so there's a lot of gay slurs in here. Yeah. Um, lots of more, uh, yeah, yeah, it, that, well, yeah, you know, it's, okay, so there's a few things here. One, uh, uh, this is, like, kind of side to all of this, but, like, the, there's a fighting game called Skullgirls, apparently, that, it has, like, a kind of a cool art style, it's very, like, cartoony, and, um, the characters are really interesting. Um, if you're if you're into fighting games, I'm not really into fighting games. Uh, but like they had some like problematic content. Like one of the characters is their whole character design is based on a Nazi, and they have a whole bunch of like canonically underage girls that like when they would do their high kicks, you could see their underwear, right? Yeah. Which like if you're not a video game person, that sounds like insane and repulsive. But that you have to understand that that is like par for the course for anything like anything that even borders with anime people. It's just like it's all pedophilia. Like it's just it touches on absolutely everything. And they Skullgirls was like hugely well received. And then they put out an update that just removed the Nazi pedophile content. And the fans have been in like active 
frothing fucking revolt for days and days and days now. Like, they managed to take one of the highest-reviewed games on Steam down to mixed reviews, which, like, that means, like, thousands of people have logged on to be, like, viscerally mad about not seeing, like, little drawings of little girl underwear and, like, a, a, a Nazi accordion monster or whatever the fuck he was getting real heated. Whatever. Yeah. Side note, there was a comedian in Chicago who was apparently just, like, a cool stoner guy for a while. And then he, uh, like, 2016 happened, and it just, like, cooked his brain. And he went down, like, the most vile fucking rabbit hole that you can. I mean, everybody that's listening to this knows somebody who's done this exact thing, where they were, like, a totally normal person. Maybe they were, like, a little off on some things. But, like, 2016 just fried their fucking circuits. And now he's just, like, full-on, like, Holocaust-denying psychopath. And it's just so amazing, like, how much we've just let this, this brain poison of, like, Trumpism just fully infest the body. You know what I mean? It's like we are we're in septic shock for how much we've let this shit just metastasize all over our fucking country. Yeah. And how, so yeah, this guy sucks. Yeah, and how now it's like oh, it's like self sustaining because they have their own little community now. So it's like oh yeah, I mean they're they're not gonna uh, yeah, there's 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 no way out. Leak. Anyways, yeah. Let's, let's let's keep uh, let's keep talking about video games, huh? Yeah. Now, so yeah, so the thing now you've got so the thing that gets me about these is that he's posting using the same handle and avatar he uses everywhere else with a link to his Steam profile in his bio. He was just totally confident that this was all like behind closed doors. So mask full off, no fucks given. Like, yeah, I, I have this yeah. from the screenshot here. That's his. That's his avatar. He used everywhere. It's the guy doing the the Voight, the Voight comp test at the beginning of Blade Runner who gets bla- who gets uh, shot. So you know that, that's that's his little character that he uses on everything. So um, so you might be wondering. So if BadGame.net is locked down, then how did these posts from there get out? And that right, is right. That's. Yeah, you you can't see anything from the outside. Yeah, you cannot get in at all. You have to be logged in to to view anything. Otherwise, all you get is that login page and the flags that would it randomly pulls up a these things called flags that forums will do, or it's just like a funny image within a certain dimension that people can upload and they'll just randomly show up on each page. Right. Which is why I had the one with the N word in it when I pulled it up because I was like, that was okay. I can't. I couldn't ask for a better juxtaposition. So yeah. So so that's that's one of the reasons I wanted. This is one of the weirdest things about this story is that. To this point, we don't know who leaked these screenshots. Uh, we know they're real uh. because Jack confessed when he was confronted with them. But but I do know how they made their way to the Brigadore thread. It's something awful about it being public because I'm the one who posted them there. <laughs> so, <laughs> here's my, so here's my screenshot on my sleeveless account on June 22nd, 2020, quoting, uh, quoting uh, one of his posts going, so is this real? And if so, what the fuck? And it's that image I just showed you. This one is not, it shows that the image does not exist anymore, because that's one of the things was, uh, they got it taken down when it got posted there. So I, I had to fi- re- got rehost it a couple times. But, so yeah, um, I don't know how, so we're at, pa- we're at page 32 of 86. So, uh, you know, we've been recording for about an hour. So I don't know, this might be a good point to maybe do like a bumper or something. Because yeah, I think it might be a, okay. kind of a fun yeah. ending point. Like this is where, this is where I entered to the story. And I get to tell you guys about uh, some of the fun fallout from this. So we're going to have to cut the episode there because it's actually going to get real fucking weird and juicy, apparently, because Jay's getting involved with one of his many alts, uh, and it's only going to get worse from here. So that's all for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to find us, we're at IFTIPod on Twitter, and you can email us at IFTIPod at Gmail if you have ideas for posts or anything like that, uh, or, you know, Send us anything that you want to talk about. And also give us a fucking review. Jesus, we have no reviews going on except for a couple that are uh, not great. We're doing our, we're doing our best, all right? Um, we also have a Patreon where uh, for however much money it is, I don't know. I don't go on Patreon. I'm pretty sure I'm banned. But we have extra episodes where we get a little more in-depth about some of these topics uh, and our personal lives. If you want to get into that. You can find me on Twitter at calculations or uh, on Instagram at 
calculations and on Twitter I'm at Winslow Domain. If you're uh, interested in playing my card game, I'm trying to get people to play it. Just go to winslowdomain.com and it should be there or just go to any of my socials and just click the link tree. It's all there. Um, love to hear. But we're going to be back next week with even more of this, uh, this very special video game. I'm from the Internet is created by Jay Brandstetter and Winslow Domain. Edited by Steve Brown. Music by Steve Isbroke. <laughs>